Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me for another great conversation. As always, I appreciate you guys. This next conversation was an eye-opener to say the least because as a society, I feel that we're not prepared for the worst things that to come. If you needed any proof of that, then 2020 would be the year that would prove that to all of us. Most likely, if you're listening to this, you weren't prepared. Not many of us were. So I introduce to you the very smart and very forward-thinking James Walton. heater going in the background all right brother so we're recording officially um and like i said i do the intros after so uh cool one one well, thanks for having me on oh yeah no james thanks for coming on the show man i appreciate your time i appreciate you reaching out um like i was just telling you before we started recording i am genuinely just interested in you know prepper overall people that prep for a situation now is doomsday prepper appropriate or is that one of those things that gets misused i don't know I mean, there's definitely a doomsday prepper was, was a word that was created by a TV show. So that wasn't created by our community. Um, but there's definitely an element of, you know, prepping for the worst of the worst case scenarios and what we do also. So, you know, okay. that's, a, that's definitely a part of it. Yeah. Now how, when, when did this all begin for you? Like, was it something that, you know, your family did, your family was aware of, you know, impending disasters or as you got older, did you get into it? What was it? Where were this, all of this started, this prepping? Yeah, so uh, I was always a big on end of the world movies when I was a kid, you know, loved them. I would go to the movies and see all the alien flicks, obviously, you know, growing up in the 90s, Terminator fan and you know, oh, yeah. Terminators built around basically a nuclear apocalypse. You know, that's what the whole story kind of central centers around. Um, so you know, that was always kind of like a fun comic book kind of level thing in my head. Um, but I was pretty much just free ranging until about 25 years old. Uh, I had got married early, luckily met the right woman early. That didn't do it. Um, had my first son and we had, we got hit by a hurricane, which was new to me because growing up around Philly, you don't get hit by hurricanes, you know, it's just something right. you don't deal with. Um, we got hit by this hurricane in 2011. Irene was her name. <laughs> and I remember, uh, he was, he was a month old, you know, so we were new parents. He was a month old. I didn't even know how to hold him yet. You know, I remember changing the diapers and feeling like you're going to pop a leg out off, you know, <laughs> it's like, does this thing just pop off? I got to be gentle here. Yeah. Now, now I'm 10 years in with two boys and it's like, you could, I'm on a top floor. You could throw them out this window and they just run up the steps and they say, do yeah. it again. Right. That bounce back. <laughs> yeah. Throw me again. But, uh, <clears throat> so that was an eye opener because though I had a wife and, um, you know, responsible with my career and that kind of thing, I was living a weird bacheloresque kind of life you know what i mean which was from a from a i was a homeowner but i didn't have any tools i was living in a house i had no food you know it was just i was in this really weird place and that that hurricane we got the power shut off for like two weeks couldn't get out of the neighborhood for the first few days because of trees down all throughout our neighborhood wow. and that was really the eye-opener for me you know i didn't even know what preppers were yet um but i knew that I had to step my game up for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so you I didn't felt... make the connection between like, um, 
the le- where I'm at now and the things I'm preparing for now back then, you know, it wasn't like, oh God, this hurricane's opened my eyes to the fact that the whole economy could collapse out from under us. <laughs> but yeah. I made the early connections then and there for sure. Well, you noticed, it sounds like you noticed that you were extremely unprepared. And- oh God. Yeah. Looking back, it makes me nervous. Yeah. And I've never, I, I bet it makes me nervous just listening to yeah. it. Um, I, I've never actually had to go through one of those natural disasters, but every time, you know, I see one, uh, you know, especially you like 2020. Yeah. Good point. But I'm one of the ones, if you listen to any of these previous episodes, I'm one of the lucky ones, I guess, where okay. I'm, I'm not far enough to believe that it was fake, but I am far enough. To, I will go far enough to say is that when I looked around me, what I was seeing was not what was being reported. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's like that. like, I could call it a, a, a you know, doomsday scenario in, in a sense because businesses were closing and all that stuff, but it not much changed for me uh, as oh, an that's individual. Good. That's yeah, good. How, how about you? How did 2020 go for you? <laughs> I live a weird, sordid life, man, because of what I do. <laughs> okay. So it's like, right. you know, I, the way I really make money is through writing in this, in this niche, you know what yeah. I mean? So I do a lot of writing for blogs and book writing and that kind of stuff in the prepping and survival and outdoors world. And uh, unfortunately when the world goes haywire, it's great for me, you know? So it's right. a really weird thing. It's like the bottom falling out of the uh, stock market over there. It's gonna be a good month. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's what you're, you're because you're prepared literally by definition. Yeah, <laughs> but, but also the demand the demand for the content that I write goes way up. You for know the what information. I mean? So a lot of clients pop up like, hey, what are you up to? <laughs> Can you yeah, write me yeah. an article about what to do about this or that? Or, you know, so that's, yeah, that's it's weird. It, but it's it's a great hedge, man. It's a great hedge, you know, going into a year like that where I knew a lot of guys who were struggling to keep businesses open. And I had no doubts that it was we were going to be fine <laughs> so long as my wife didn't lose her job, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. So, all right. So let's circle back a little bit for the listeners that don't know what a prepper is. Can you give me the definition of what a prepper is? Yeah. I mean, you know, textbook is like somebody who prepares uh, to make sure that their day isn't interrupted by unforeseen, you know, outcomes or circumstances. You know what I mean? It's just a person who, because I think a lot of people are more prepper than they believe. And a lot of people are thorough preppers and, you know, just don't want to be called a prepper. There's nothing wrong with that either. You know, right. it's just a, like anything else, but it's really just being, being ready for, you know, I'm sure when it comes to snow, if you live in Massachusetts, you've got some prepper tendencies built into you. you yeah. Know, just yep. The snow is going to come. It's winter. I got shovels. I got salt. I got cat litter whatever, however you do it. You know, that's, that's a level of preparedness right there. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, now, I do. Pre- now, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. Uh, so, from a outside of a dictionary kind of definition, it, mm-hmm. it it's really you find yourself on a path that is pushing you further and further towards what we call self reliance and independence, which is just uh, not necessarily wanting to be isolated and by yourself. But if you wind up being that way, you you can you have created as many of your own inputs as possible. You know, from a food standpoint, from a water standpoint, from first aid, you know, down and down the list, right? You can answer the questions of of chaos if they come to be. You know, yeah. Is that would that be the same thing as just being a sovereign individual? Is that same? A, thing? a lot like that. Yeah, a lot like that. Except maybe a little more. Maybe taking a little more action on the front of, uh, you know, how you how you run the house. You know, like we. 
more to come from your own back than to be conveniently delivered to your front door. You know, how do you heat the yeah. home might be a little different than how the average, how you power things with solar panels, you know, going and getting your breakfast in the morning from a chicken coop rather than a carton of eggs, those yeah. types of things, you know, I mean, they're, uh, they're built into that prepping mindset also, because there's, there's definitely a level of stuff that you buy and then stuff that you do, you know, stuff that you buy to sort of fortify in a disaster and then stuff that you do day to day to that, you know, is also to fortify, but really also makes life pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I bet I actually talk about this in a different I didn't know it was, you know, peppering and NSA, but I, I usually I've been telling a lot of people, especially what you just brought up, like the stock market eventually collapsing and what where it looks like it's heading. And I try to tell people that the more, you know, we're less dependent on these, you know, big services. Um, like sure. I work in a hospital, but big pharma, uh, the banking system, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, all, all these, all these things, the more better off we'd be. And then I also try to tell people that one of the worst things human, one of the best, but one of the worst things human beings ever did was create a home. You know, it's great <laughs> because it keeps us warm, right? It protects us from the outdoors and all that. But then again, it, it leads to this new type of world we live in where, you know, like you said, everything gets brought to our door. We don't have to go outside. We don't worry about where the water comes from. We don't worry about yeah, any yeah. of that stuff. And, and I think that's a handicap, especially in, in a world like, you know, last year, 2020, when it seemed sure. to be going downhill very fast. <laughs> I call it the uh I actually just posted a video. I have I just posted a video on this today on YouTube and it, it was titled the 100 year amnesia because that's what I call it all the time is the the 100 year amnesia. That's what we went through as a as a people. You know what I mean about 100 years ago, we got not just the industrial revolution but the convenience revolution. And what is astounding to me and I probably should write a book about it one day is how we went from the Neolithic age on up to about 1930, 40, and and survival and preparedness and homesteading and, and you know agriculture and all that was just it had to be woven into your life in order for you to survive. And then in that short hundred years, we forgot everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? We forgot, except for maybe a little minuscule garden in the backyard. The vast majority of, of Americans just like. I don't know anything about anything. I don't know what those trees are. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I get on the, the phone and I have the f- food delivered. I mean, mo- a lot of people, an astounding number of people don't even know how to cook, which is amazing yeah. to me. You know, it's That's like, insane. I don't even know what to do with this, with this group of ingredients to make it so that I can eat it. <laughs> yeah, that that's insane when you think about it. So how much of the philosophy do you think of being uh, gullible, right? especially in a world with false media and false information? Sure. You know, w- would you, if you can, can you compare the philosophy of a prepper to a philosophy of a person that's pretty much zombied out and living a typical life? Like, Well, that's that's definitely part of the entry uh, fee. You know what I mean? To, to, yeah. be, to become uh, a prepper, you have to you have to see through a lot of stuff because convenience is easy and attractive, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I, I know a lot of people who are hung up on it, who are hung, don't, they don't, they know in their heart of hearts, maybe they're a little more convinced now this after this year, but before <laughs> this year, a lot of people who are convinced in their heart of hearts that things didn't look the way they should, but we're reluctant, man, just super reluctant. And I think it's because, as you know, you sound like a guy now that we've talked a little bit, who knows the deal. It's a lot to look at. 
It's yeah. a lot to come to terms with. You know, it's not it's just as easy as as identifying one core problem and saying, you know what, if we fix this one thing, we're going to be fine. Right. You know, it's a monster. It's like pulling back an infected scab. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's just like, whoa, how are we going to deal with all this? So, yeah, I think that barrier is what keeps a lot of gullible people gullible. You know, I don't think yeah. that they necessarily desire but I think it's a hell of a lot easier to go to work all day. I never underestimate the load on the average adult. You know what I mean? I mean, I know there's lots of people out there who are very irresponsible, but, but the average adult, I think, has a lot to deal with already. Yeah. And, and the idea that now I'm going to come home and I'm going to spend time reading about how terrible things are going. And then on top of that, I got to pay all my bills instead of little money aside to actually buy preps and start doing all the, you know, growing of things and, you know, firearms aspects and learning these skills that they might be so detached from because i was so detached from a lot of this stuff man i was just a chef when i was 25 years old that was it chef and a fisherman and <laughs> and the idea of taking on all this kind of crazy stuff back then was like i just was so out of water you know yeah and i think that's a big hump for a lot of people and without the right kind of motivation um yeah it's, it's yeah. hard to blame them for not wanting to get into this thing and and the right information right because i'll give myself as a perfect example same same as you just said i've before um last year i basically you know i live massachusetts pretty blue state pretty you know uh Mm -hmm. typical liberal state so i was okay and then i started getting information from a few buddies that was like hey man you you know you might want to take advantage of your second amendment man hey man you might want to be you know pay attention to these things and, you know, I was, you know, I grew up in the mentality where it was like, you know, I really don't need that stuff. It's not really right, a, yeah. a necessity. So like you said, it's more of like me having to look myself in the mirror. Right. And then I saw where 2020 was heading in the information that I was getting. And I don't think I'm the only one, you know, well, I ran out and get my, you know, applied for my license to carry. Right. And oh, and, really? and I went out. Yeah. And, and now I'm a happy gun owner. And now my, you know, mental mindset on that in the Second Amendment has completely 180. I mean, I went oh, from, sure, hey, I don't yeah. need that to you know who cares if it exists to oh hell no motherfucker we're keeping this thing around <laughs> well it's a hard yeah that's a hard pill to swallow in and of itself right is just yeah. to go to go from this mindset that like i live in a peaceful place and why would i bring a firearm into it and mess with it right to having to really come to terms with the fact that i gotta have a gun and, yeah. and historically people without guns or without weapons have fared really poorly you know <laughs> Good point. I, mean? Yeah. I mean just really poorly like this counting on the benevolence of men who are stronger or more prepared than you just doesn't work out in human society very often right you know right. i mean but this it, little this little section we've been pretty good but you know 1900 and before good luck yeah definitely yeah it's just like you know I don't know. A lot of things. We could go into the financial system after that. We could go into the whole, uh, <laughs> like, I want to know what it is that a prepper actually pays attention to. Like, because. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 If it's me, then I'm paying attention to pretty much whatever the hot topics are. Right. Like if the you know presidential election was heating up or whatever, we were into that. And all. but what do you guys really focus on when it comes to prep? Sure. Yeah. So. Uh, just as an example. Because I think you brought up something that's really important for your listeners to understand. When I first got into prepping, I purchased, and I was, this is even more funny because I was a chef for years. 
went to school for it, the whole nine yards. There wasn't a lot of things that I couldn't cook already. Every prepping site I went to told me about silver because the dollar's gone out. So you got to have a way to purchase without the dollar. And every site told me that I needed buckets of red, hard red winter wheat, which is probably the only ingredient I've still never cooked with to date. Really? Wow. <laughs> so the I've first thing, I, the first two, yeah, the first two things, I, it's basically just wheat in the raw state. You can grind it down and make flour, but gotcha. it stays around forever. You know what I mean? You really, it's, I mean, it, it'll be there when everything else isn't. Wow. Um, okay. But anyways, a prepper author made it very popular and the prepper community ate it up. And you got to be careful of that is what I'm getting at. Because um, if you read, if you read just in the prepper community, it's better now. It's way better. But there, are, when I look back, I say there are so many other things I should have done first. And the first thing I did was buy silver. And the second thing I did was buy wheat. And I, it, it, and it was all manipulation. It was all me reading the wrong articles at the wrong times, getting scared, which happens when you start reading this stuff, you know that, uh, and then just having to do something so I could sleep at night. So years go by and obviously you hone down the things that you actually need, right? And you start paying attention to the information sources that you trust. Um, and and the other thing that really starts to happen too that helps with all that is you get a filter of of a network of people around you who you trust as well. Um, some of my favorite places to go when, when things are going crazy or when I feel like things are going to go crazy, um, I like to focus on places like Peak Prosperity. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Zero no. Hedge. They're really cool websites, really good guys. Actually, one of my good friends, Samantha Biggers, um, she's, a, she's a writer and a homesteader. Real deal she she is america that's what i always tell her she's oh, just I love like, <laughs> but not not in the not in the like american flag bikini wearing style of america you know what i mean she's she, if you ever get a chance go to samanthabiggers.com and read her stuff get to know her she's great but she just got a job over at peak prosperity which speaks volumes of what they're putting out but yeah those two websites are great um, we have at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, which is my podcast network, we have, you know, nine hosts there. Um, nice. So what's what I wind up doing when things get real wild is I'm, I'm sending text messages to those guys to see what they're talking about on their shows that week, because it's a wide range. You know, it's we've got a 20 year military vet who taught nuclear, biological and chemical warfare in the army. Wow. So, you know, that's a huge resource. We were, we were, Dave Jones was, his name's Dave Jones, the NBC guy. And he, he's, he was just critical all through 2020 as, as we watched his virus because biological warfare is, you know, what a lot of people thought this was early on. It was like, is this, sure. a, what is going on here? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, I've got personal contacts that are close that I like to take information from also. Um, but there are two kind of veins when it comes to prepping information that are that's probably worth mentioning. Uh, you could go to a website like prepperwebsite.com, which sounds silly, but it's actually a great site. And you're going to get information that is skill-based. You know, so like, in other words, you've identified that you're concerned about an economic collapse. Yeah. And you're going to mitigate that by maybe investing in silver and investing in long-term food storage so that you can eat and maybe buy the things that you need when cash doesn't work anymore. Um, and 
go into a website like that, you're going to learn what kind of silver to buy right now. And you're going to learn how to make food storage, you know, yourself, how to go buy rice, put it in a bucket, mylar bag, the whole, you know, thing to sort yeah. of build your own stacks of food in the house, um, which is probably to you and your listeners, the thing that I'd be focusing on mo most right now is stocking up on food for the long term. Um, because the food, while it's not getting a lot of press, the food supply and the food supply coupled with restrictions of COVID and COVID vaccinations are really weird right now. It's really a weird situation that's taking shape. So food is always high on the list. Um, what would and be the long haul? Is there an answer to that question? What's the long oh, the haul? Long haul? Well, yeah. the long haul has to be. So here's how, how I calculate the long haul and how a okay. lot of preppers like me do. It all depends on where you're at from a from a food production standpoint at home. You know, so there's some preppers, Dave Jones, for example, who has what's Dave got? Dave's got goats over there. He's got quails and chickens, I think. Um, so he's got meat, he's got eggs, he's got milk on property right now. Right. So so his food storage situation should be enough food to last him and his family until he can get plants going, canning, you know, the whole nine yards, right? So it really, your food storage is the buffer between the time you get all your agriculture set up, you know, and, and you want, and it doesn't have to be like until your farm is ready to go, right? But you want to be able to say like, we're going to add some chickens to the flock or we're going to get chickens so that we at least have that protein each and every day. We're going to grow some, some kind of vegetables, some kind of food production or barter situation, maybe with a local farmer or with a neighbor who's a better grower. Uh, you got to set up that sort of new food supply. And until right. that new food supply is set up, you got to have food, you know? Right. So what, whatever that look, if that looks different for everybody. You yeah. Know? And if I'm sure the really amount of people does. in your family changes that as well. That's huge. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. Interesting. And uh, so from, from the standpoint of skills, you've got that, kind of vein of information when it comes to prepping and i would highly recommend you go prepper website it's it's a great site really straightforward how to do things um and then you have a great guy like michael snyder over at the economic collapse blog.com that's a guy i've been reading for years um and and he takes these topics that we all concern ourselves with but what he does which is probably better than anybody i think is uh he cites them and he pulls direct quotes from other information you know, so it's not just his conjecture. Things are getting bad because of this. You know, he'll pull direct quotes from yeah. police reports and from, you know, other news sources. So you yeah. can really paint a picture. And, and you know, he's one of those guys I read him and, and you don't even necessarily have to trust him. <laughs> I do because <laughs> I know him. But but, you know, you don't necessarily have to trust him because he's got the information there from different sources. So yeah, that, that's a big deal if you're new to it. That's definitely valuable. Yeah. So if, if I were to ask in 2020, at least just to narrow it down, what were the biggest things, you know, preppers were worried about or the big thing, if there was one, because a lot of things happening, I mean, with the, you know, with the Black Lives Matter protesting and the presidential election and the, sure. you know, the over overturn the campaign and all that good stuff. What, you know, the financial stuff going on. Sure. Yeah. What was on the top so, of your guys' list? So in May 2019, yep. we started the we started the 2020 election preparedness campaign. That are, that was, okay. Yeah, that was a week to week 
email list or newsletter rather that was a prepping action item every week until the election you know what i mean so it it came to be in my head in may i think we sent our first email out in october of 2019 and then we spent the whole year preparing for what actually turned out to be not nearly as bad as i thought it would which was the post uh post 2020 election now something that happened here in virginia is our governor tried to enact insane second amendment legislation at the end of 2019 so before yeah before coronavirus came in we were all very wound up about the second amendment because i mean i'll give you a little taste please there was a designation of about 50 or so firearms that were designated not by a committee, but literally by the, the people who crafted the bill, legislators, which, as you know, they know everything about guns, <laughs> the common <laughs> legislator. Right. Uh, so they decided which guns were assault weapons, assault firearms, they called them. And it wasn't just AR-15s. It was certain types of shotguns, certain type of handguns. I mean, it was an ex- just an insane list. Um, yeah. And and. The bill was proposed that, you know, by July of 2020, you can render these weapons to the officials. You know, you can turn them over to the state, basically, uh, or you can face a class. I want to say it was a class five felony. Wow. Which was, you know. I had never been so close to jail in my life. Yeah. Just from a bill. Just from a bill, you know what yeah. I mean. It didn't. It it didn't make it through and all that. But the fact that that bill was proposed, and I remember reading through it and going, "Oh God!" So July, if I don't turn the guns in, I go to jail. No, no questions asked. You know, I mean That's that insane. that was a bill that was proposed. Um, there was a about a thirty to forty thousand person march on the Capitol of Richmond uh, in in on the eighteenth of. I think it was the 18th of January, 2020. So we were all riled up about that. And then at the end of January, obviously the the pandemic kicked in and we were saying, you know, we were very extreme in the beginning, man. We were super extreme in the beginning. We were saying, you know, this, and it's all documented since we do podcasts, which is so cool. But we were saying, you know, like, don't go anywhere. Sam Biggers, the one I was talking to you about, she didn't leave her house for... I want to say eight months. She never <laughs> wow. left. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I mean, she she left her home to work on her property because they have grapes and goats and stuff like that. But she sure. never went to town for eight months. That's insane. Um, <laughs> and you know, you got to be prepared to do that. That's well, not. I was about to say for a prepper, yeah, that must be a badge of honor. <laughs> that's not something you can just do because you because uh, of conviction. Yeah, <laughs> you got to be ready for that. Uh, exactly. But we were, we were all of that mindset. This could be the thing. You know, because pandemic is a, is one of those high level prepper doomsday scenarios that we worry about is the, the pandemic that comes and just starts killing. You know, like the the avian flu is is a pandemic that has a 60 percent death rate. Yeah. Yeah. So you get it. It's more than likely you're going to die from Absolutely. it. And that's young and old and everything. So so we were nervous. We were nervous for sure. And And kind of like you, over time, we started watching it and saying, you know. Stuff's not adding up now. You know, we've, yeah, yeah, <laughs> we've yeah, been definitely. watching and watching and it does this doesn't look like what we thought it was. Um, so so pandemic took front front row for a while. Obviously, we went deep 
man, I learned a lot this year, that last year, we went really deep on intelligence gathering at the local level during the riots. What do you mean by that? So, so um, I can't remember what the hell I called it. <laughs> I had, I had a whole name for this thing, but it was essentially just how it, I showed the audience kind of what I did. Cause there were riots in Richmond for a month straight. Okay. And I showed the I showed the audience what I did when the nights that I knew were going to be bad, uh, using an app called Broadcastify, using a map, you know, like a standard Google map, and using Twitter, and basically watching the protesters, listening. Broadcastify gives you the ability to listen to mostly local fire uh, chatter. Okay. Can't really get too much police chatter for obvious reasons. You know, they sure. don't want people to do terrible things. Um, but you can listen to fire and you can listen to some EMS. And between listening to where they were, watching where the protesters were, and mapping that on a map, um, I could very easily tell, you know, are we in danger or not? Do we have to leave or not? Which direction is this protest going? Is it going to come close to us or not? So that became a real focal point for us through the summer was, you know, these things aren't going away. State leadership's doing nothing to stop them. So night after night after night, people were scared and they wanted answers. So our answer to them was, you know, this is how you can follow the action and make a good decision about, okay, honey, we need to pack up the car and get out of here because things are coming our way that, that could go south. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like that. that. Worked, yeah, yeah, it, it really worked well. I mean, it worked yeah. really well. You could find out where the fire department was staging fire trucks because they said that almost on a fifteen-minute basis. You know, yeah. we're staged at at here. We're staged at this street and that street. So you knew where they were. So that means they knew where things were going to happen. And then you know, everybody films everything on their phone. So you watch Twitter and people have the phone up showing what they're doing at the protest. Yeah. And you could find out which street they were on and how close they were to you, you know? So it's a good tool for next summer. We we've consistently had protests summer over summer. And I have to imagine that that's going to happen again this summer, um, regardless of who's in office. So it's a good tool. Um, and of course at the, the year really wrapped up with, uh, what could happen with the election. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and I think from a chaos standpoint, we got the we got the better deal. <laughs> Give me more. What do you mean by that? <laughs> it would, well, it would have been a hell of a lot worse, I think, had Trump won. Well, you know, why was, do you say that? I just think it, people would have been. Well, so there were obviously problems um, with people accepting the outcome of the election. Yes. Um, but the group that had to accept the outcome of the election took it a different way than I think the other side would have took it if they didn't accept. Cause no, my whole thing from the 2019 on was no matter who wins in 2020, one side's going to raise hell. You yeah. Know, because sure. we're in a, we have been tricked Jose into this idea of being in the most desperate time ever. Yeah, which is really a weird and nasty trick that has been played on us. So we think that everything that happens is the most important thing that can happen ever. True. And it's the most desperate time, you know, and if we don't win this election, then the whole world is going to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's both sides. I mean, both sides are in that mindset, which was what makes it so dangerous. Um, but I just felt like if 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 it went to Trump and um, there was any question whatsoever 
you know, that it would have probably been pretty bad around the major cities in the country. I mean, that was just my estimate from a year before the election or more. It was just, you know, there's the, the hatred for the guy was so incredible that uh, I couldn't Absolutely. see it working out. You know, I didn't see it working out either way. I yeah. knew that no matter what side won, the other side was going to bitch about it. You know, it's just just what it was. Um, but I think we got maybe got the lesser from a national level situation. Uh, but but I don't know. You know, there there was Antifa was rioting in Seattle that on during the inauguration, which was really strange. Yeah, yeah, a During lot of. Flat, I don't know if you've seen that, but it was, <laughs> it was kind of weird. Yeah, well, I actually had to get like uh, I got caught up into the mix of it, man. Where it was like, you know, I was holding on for dear life until you know election day in November, and then after that, it just started to get you know closer, right? So I had personal friends that were you know on the other side, and the thing with me is, and I know a lot of people say this, but I literally live this. I don't have a side because I'm a I'm a like a situational person. Like I like to hear. The problem I like to hear us play, and then I make a decision there and then. I know that sounds washy, wishy washy, but that's exactly how I feel. But what ended up happening was, is you know, a, a lot of close friends were like pulling me to the side that they wanted, and then those heated exchanges happen, right? Where you yeah. start to, you know, you know, relationships start to deteriorate because of you know words Which is and things. Crazy, to say. right? Which is insane. I, for people <laughs> that you know, we don't even know, and for people that will never meet and that don't care about us. No, um, not at all. <laughs> not so, at all. So I say all that to say that by by the time December came out, I was just you know I was tapped out. I was basically sure, like, yeah, whatever the hell was happening is going to happen. I kept hearing say, like you just said that you know the world was going to end regardless, and then right. you know everything, uh, civil war, all this unrest. Sure. Um, I don't know if any of that played out. I will say that I do think a lot of people have had their eyes open because of all this lying. And oh, all this yeah. Yeah. Back and it's forth. Been good. It's been good. We've definitely seen an uptick in uh, the preparedness community for sure. They're paying attention. And, you know, the Second Amendment has really taken a focal point. I mean, the amount of background checks have gone up exponentially since August 2020 in our nation. And, and I mean, yeah. I haven't checked out the data in February, but... Yesterday, Joe Biden made an announcement that he's going to, you know, go after the Second Amendment, essentially, Again. Uh, you know, so that I, w I wish I mean, if I if anybody were around these guys, they would tell them, look, do it and don't say it. The moment you say it, you're the greatest gun salesman of all time. You know, yeah. that's what I always said about Barack Obama. He was the greatest gun salesman of all time. He just he, he wouldn't leave it alone. And people were like, yeah. Buy and buy and buy. I come. Right, right. So, you know, what do you, that, what do you think their incentive is to get this done, in your opinion? I've heard different opinions, but why do they want to get know, rid of the Second Amendment? Incentive? Yeah, why, uh, why would well, they want to get rid of Everything I think that goes on, everything I think that goes on is multifaceted. And there's like, uh, and, and the weird thing, the weird thing about, sort of the postmodernist left wing or whatever you want to call it, there's a mm -hmm. million names, is there's like this weird like alpha and omega to everything that they do where where in in one hand you listen to them and you look at them and you think, you know what? They saw they they're compassionate people for sure. You know, or at least some some large percentage of them are inherently compassionate people and and when it, when that type of person sees gun violence perpetuated towards children in particular um you know it has a it has a serious effect on everyone 
Sure. And it seems like they tend to hold on to it. And and to credit them, it seems like they want to come up with the solution right now. Like we need to do something right now so that this never happens again. And they do the same thing with climate change too, which I look at it and I think it's ignorant arrogance, right? To assume that you're going to, we probably can't, not to say that we shouldn't try and fix the planet and do a better job as stewards, but there's, there's also probably a good chance that we have no ability to fix the entire planet. You know right. what I mean? It's it's a very arrogant thing to yeah. assume that just because we write stuff on paper and make people do things, we'll change the course of the galaxy. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, in some ways you don't want to fault them for it, right? Because it's compassion and it makes sense. It's like you want to stop this from ever happening again. Um, but I think with the Second Amendment, they come at it from a from an ignorant standpoint, you know, where there, where's this idea that uh, they, a lot of them have never used a gun. A lot of them don't know people who have guns. So the gun itself is like this weird, scary thing that they don't like. Um, so there's that, that side of it. And then there's another piece of the puzzle that seems like they're undeniably happy about the idea of certain people not having guns. Yeah. Whether or not they look at them as a threat or whether or not they just want them to be powerless and silent. And there's that devious side too, you know, which is absolutely and and I see that in a lot of the things that they want to do. It's like you get the compassionate side, you understand why, why it's almost like the marketing aspect. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yes, like yes. let's tug on the heartstrings with this marketing. But I think a lot of people are are truly well intentioned. And and then you have this other aspect of it where it's it seems like there's definitely something darker behind it, which is, you know, an unarmed population is just a population that is more easily controlled. And we know how to fix the problems. The people with the guns and the opinions are really getting in the way, yeah. you know, because yeah. that's what people with guns do. They They get in the way of tyrants. And, you know, there's there's a lot of tyrannical stuff happening right now on the backs of problems that, that, well, really on the back of fear, right? It's Absolutely. like, Oh, pandemic scared. Okay. All you have to do is everything we tell you and we'll be all right. 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 End of the world, climate change. We're scared. We'll just do exactly what we tell you and we'll fix it. And, and people with guns and opinions are the worst people to have around during the, when you're trying to push those kind of agendas, because they not only can say go to hell, but they can say, and if you don't want to go to hell, I can help you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So there's, yeah, it, it's a weird thing, but it seems like that that is pervasive. I'm not done yet. Good. Yeah, I, I can see where they could try to, um, you know, like you said, if you if you lull people to sleep, you can abuse the power. Um, yeah. And if, you know, the original amendment, if I'm not mistaken, was basically for that to allow farmers to protect their homestead uh, and the militia to defend itself if it needed to. Uh, but yeah, if, if the militia doesn't have any weapons. <laughs> yeah. The I mean, it, it was written to assure that you don't have a God real. I mean, to be quite honest, and this is not this is not a fault of Joe Biden's. I saw it with Donald Trump and I saw it with Barack Obama. And before then, I didn't pay attention to politics. I was too young. But 
that amendment was written to assure that you never have a guy who spends a whole day opening black books and writing laws into order that you have to deal with. You know well, what so I mean? That, yeah. that executive action stuff has got to be stopped. And I don't care who's in office. It's just that's a king. That's a king at work. You know, if a yeah. guy can sit down and decree with his pen 40 some odd actions and and the, the right has made a big deal out of 40 some executive actions. I didn't check the data, but. Trump did a good deal. You know, he did a good deal of executive actions himself, and that's not good either way. Even if it even if it feels like a win for your side, it's not a win for anybody if the president can show up and say, I'm just going to put 40, 50 things in action and you're going to have to deal with it, you know, whether yeah. you believe in it or not. It's very dangerous. So yeah, that, that's, that's really what that Second Amendment was <laughs> designed for. That right there should be the selling point to anybody who doesn't believe in the Second Amendment. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I never thought about it. Like, you know, you hear, you know, uh, you know, King George, tyranny and, you know, that whole story of the revolution. And to think that that person could literally just be sitting in Washington, D.C., with a pan on his ass, changing the world. Um, that's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, he, that, you know, one of those was lit the stop. I mean. You know, you can feel any way you want to feel about the Keystone XL pipeline, but one of them was to stop that, which is a massive industry in this nation and a massive aid to Canada and a massive effector of, I mean, you could argue homeland security, right? right. If I have if I have enough oil to fuel, fuel the American military, which is exponentially larger than any military on the planet, uh, we're secure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good yeah. luck messing with America who has it full energy independence. But, you know, it also affects your gas price. I mean, your gas price will increase because we've decided that we don't want to go forward with the EXL pipeline, drilling new, uh, uh, drilling in different places in the nation, you know. And trust me, it, it's not a cut and dry issue, but it's also not an issue that one guy should show up and decide on his own. Yeah. You know, at the White with, House desk with bad information at times. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that, you know, that has to be avoided at all costs. But so so is it, you know, uh, it, are, are preppers, you know, I don't know if this is the best description. Are preppers political? Like, is it is oh, it like a hard re reasoning or is it more like as long as yeah. you guys are prepared, whatever comes? So you I mean, you have to have you have to have an opinion, right, because you have to. If you don't have an opinion, then you're never going to admit everything's has the potential to fall apart. Sure, you know what I mean. Good so, point. and you also have to identify what I what we jokingly call the lizards, right? And they're <laughs> that's just making fun of uh, the lizard people that live on Mars or whatever. I, I used to have a friend <laughs> who believed in that, and I used to I used to run a bakery, a pretzel bakery, and I would listen to George Nori in the morning because I'd have to be to work like three a.m. to turn the oven on, and right. he would always talking about these lizard people up in the echelons of government so yeah. we, we we laugh and we joke and we call bill gates and you know those guys the lizards just for fun <laughs> but you know you have to uh you have to identify people of of serious power and influence who move the chess pieces you know because okay. they're out they exist you know they most certainly exist and that's just that's just something you have to be able to recognize unfortunately they all seem to cheat to one party one one party line in particular, which, you know, I think the truth about politics in America is that nobody's really happy with politics in America. Right. You know That's I mean? why I asked. Not, yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely not a uh, it's not a right wing left wing thing in this nation. We just been taught that it's that way. 
because if you grabbed a handful of people off the street and you said, hey, you happy with the way the government works yeah. right now, <laughs> you know, with whoever's in office, you would say, no, it's corrupt as can be. Yeah. You know, so the fact that we're fighting each other over over who's president is really weird to me because of that. But yeah, yeah but it is political. I mean, a, a huge part of prepping is you better have a way to protect the things that you invest in. Right. Okay. So so you can have all the food in the world, the cool camo, the cool, you know, all the cool prepping stuff, backpacks, whatever. But if you don't have a firearm to protect any of it, then the guys with the firearms are going to come and take it take when it the time me. comes, you know. So it's hard to be a prepper and not and not support the Second Amendment, which then once you support the Second Amendment, you're a right wing you know, sure. <laughs> so yeah. in the eyes of many people, right. right? You're, you're automatically right wing because you, you have an AR 15 and that's a scary killer weapon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, I, I've, I've come to find that my, you know, foray through, you know, get, getting my own gun and, and being a, you know, a second amendment advocate is, is that I think gun owners are probably the safest people of all time. Oh, yeah, most certainly. <laughs> like I've I've been so surprised over and over again with you know not only the rubric right for like people coming on to onboarding to using a weapon and stuff like that, but you know the uh, the sheer right you know double triple quadruple checks that most gun owners have to 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 go through in order to make sure that they have a gun and and they're handling it safely. And I don't think the average person realizes that. No, well, it's hard. It's hard to understand because yeah. you only see them in movies. You, True. Know, you really yeah. you see the stuff in movies. It's like if you don't, if you've never shot one. I mean, the only reason I wound up with one was because it, when I was about twenty or nineteen or something, my wife and I moved into uh, a really cheap, really great apartment in Wilmington, Delaware, and we had no idea where we were at, but we quickly found out where we were at and why yeah. it was so cheap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember one crazy night standing in the living room, and some unknown person was slamming on the door. And I had like a chef knife and, and that little bar that props up your bench that you bench press on, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> those were my two weapons. And, oh, I, boy. and after that night, I said, well, it's time to go buy a gun. This, yeah. you know, we're in a dangerous situation, but had that not happened, I don't know how long it would have taken me to buy a gun. Cause I didn't walk around thinking like, I gotta have a gun on me. Yeah. You know, I just need to have a firearm when I was young, when the, when, the London Bridge attack happened. Uh, do you remember that? I don't. No. It was a uh, white van. It was when the UK was having that tremendous problem. I think it was 2017, maybe 2016. Anyway, the UK was having tremendous problems with violence. Well, the world was having trouble with radicalized Muslims at the time. Okay. And this was an attack where they drove a white van into some people on the London bridge. Then they got out and they had machetes and kitchen knives and they started killing people. They started cornering people and stabbing them to death. And I remember reading that and I was already podcasting and all that at that point. And that was, that was the day I decided not only do we need guns, but we need to carry them all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we definitely. need to get our concealed carry because I, I quickly understood that I would never be standing in the corner of a market getting chopped up by any, you know what I mean? They're That's going insane. to be shot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they yeah. will be shot, you know? 
So, so I, I'll give you my uh, in, in Massachusetts, you know, once again, liberal state, I'll give you my uh, journey on come getting to my, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, not only the come to Jesus, but what I had to go through to get this thing. Right. Which my buddy in Pennsylvania. Oh, la- yeah. Yeah. My buddy in Pennsylvania laughs at this all the time. So I'm actually living in a, in a city in Massachusetts where it's green light. Right. Like, so it's a full license to carry no restrictions no nothing. So I'm lucky there. Yeah. So I good. went I went for my class in June of 2020. I had to get my appointment to go and do the fingerprint thing and all that stuff and pay the hundred dollars and all that four months later. So it was about August to September. And I didn't just, I didn't get my license to carry till the first week of this year of 2021. Wow. It took, it took them literally about six, six and a half months and probably a few hundred dollars later for them to be able to get me my license to carry. And I don't know why it should not take this long. It, it you know, it got, God forbid anything happened during the presidential election. I would have been sitting there waiting in the freaking and mm. <laughs> the wind. And then now give me one minute. Let me go grab it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and now, lo and behold, I've actually come into a situation where even buying ammunition has become. <laughs> Ammo's crazy right now. Yeah, yeah that, um, that's I, no doubt about it. I tell my dad what I'm finding ammo for now. And he's just like, are you crazy? That's like ten dollars a box. I'm like, no, sir. <laughs> No, it's not. <laughs> Man, I just wrote an article the other day for a magazine about uh, asking the audience, are guns precious metals? <laughs> <laughs> are guns and ammo precious metals now? Because that's what it feels like, man. Yeah, absolutely. It feels like you could put them on the same boat as gold and silver right now. Yeah. And uh, I, that's no surprise to me, really, but you know, it's just a sign of the times. It would, like you said, all the uh, the Second Amendment you know, newcomers, I guess, just kind of flooding mm-hmm. the floodgates and trying to get in there. Um, but you know, I'm not willing to, I'm not, I don't mind paying the higher price tag, but from what I hear, it's definitely a huge inflation there. Uh, sure, yeah. So what, what are your thoughts on, you know, cause you, you as a prepper are seeing this economic downfall uh, in a completely different perspective, probably a better and a safer one than I am. So this is, could be funny or not funny. So you're seeing it as <laughs> when the U S dollar dies, you have to basically have food reserve and everything you need on hand to be able to go as long as you can. Me, foolishly or not, depending on what you think of, I'm thinking is I got to get a shitload of Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on well, crypto? Any of that? Any of that I uh, mean, storage look, of value? I got, a guy, uh, I got a guy who's going on in one hour. They do a show called the Patriot Power Hour every Tuesday night at eight. Okay. And he's a super Bitcoin enthusiast. They're both preppers, obviously, uh, but he's nice. a super Bitcoin enthusiast. And hey, look, I think I, I definitely kick myself for not buying it, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, when I first saw it, when I thought it was the biggest, you know, joke of all time. Um, But any, you know, if you're, if you go further enough down the river of, of something like an economic collapse or a, or a deadly avian flu style pandemic, um, you're going to eventually arrive at a time where power and order are likely going to be an issue. You know, and and that's what scares me personally most about crypto is you got a lot until the lights go out, then you got nothing, you know, so that's what makes me real nervous about it. I mean, if from an investment standpoint, if you're if you're trying to hedge your bets on financial collapse in the short term. I think it's the hard assets that make sense right now. I think it's things like land. You know, things like land can be had and it's, you know, it doesn't have to be hundreds of acres at a time, but small plots of land will never lose value. Obviously, gold and silver. Um, And, you know, it sounds crazy, but 
anything that you can store that will, will eventually wind up being food or is food already is always going to be of value. Yeah. And there are little, there are little things, little, little super investments like children's Tylenol. That is kind of a, <laughs> do you, you have kids or no? I do, but give me that investment. I <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, if, if you find yourself in an economic collapse where barter has begun yeah. um, and you find a set of parents who have kids with fever, with pain, you know, they're going to go out of their way to get you what it is that you need if you have what they need. And those are one of that's one of those weird things that if you don't stock up on it, you're not going to stock up on it. You know, yeah. so if you don't have that mentality for those kind of things and then you're not you're going to run out. And uh, I remember raising kids. I wouldn't have wanted to be out you know, of aura gels or any kind of pain reliever yeah. or fever reducer for my children. So, you know, those kind of hard things are what I feel more comfortable about having, you know, another great one is booze, cigarettes. They're great. Prophylactics are great. Barter, barter material. You know, these things that people are going to do and probably have to do no matter what happens, you right. know, the, the alcoholics aren't just going to say, I'm done drinking thanks to this economic collapse. You know? yeah, exactly. These things will have exponential value, you know? And uh, those are the investments that I feel more safe with outside of Bitcoin. I think in the world that we live in right now, it's great. You know, I think Elon Musk just bought a bunch of it or something right. like that. Right. It's a good deal. There's nothing wrong with it. And, and the, you know, maybe the likelihood that the computers shut down and the lights go out for an extended period of time is is a very rare one. Um, and in the short term, having Bitcoin in place of the U.S. dollar is a, probably a great hedge, in my right. opinion. That's um, exactly but, my uh, yeah. That's exactly my place on Bitcoin. Uh, I wasn't yeah. expecting it to come and digitally save my life, <laughs> but right. uh, the hedge against inflation. You know, the, this ridiculous thing of them continuous to the Fed's continuing to put you know pump 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 more money into this economy, uh, and we all know what happens when that happens. And you right. know, typical nine to five workers are not. They're, they're toast, right? Their savings accounts are toast. They're sitting there, oh, yeah. melting away like an ice cube. Sure. Yeah, so that that's my thing on Bitcoin. But yeah, you brought up a, a fantastic point, which is in the longer run, when none of that, you know, when none of that stuff matters, <laughs> you're gonna need some children's time and all. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a scary one. You know, when the lights go out, everything gets different quick. You yeah, know, that's the that's one of the scarier things is that that off grid sort of situation. Now, I don't know, you know, I don't know if we ever see anything like that or not, but yeah. I know you should have a some kind of a plan in case. <laughs> sure, yeah. Because if you don't, then you're going to be, what should I do now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with you know no weapon, I mean? by the way. <laughs> yeah, no gun. You can't heat or cool your home. You. Yeah. So all your money was in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, and now it's all gone. <laughs> right, and you can't get to the ATM either because that's off. Right. So it's now that now that you say that, let's get into what's the checklist for somebody, you know, all the resources you gave earlier, which if you don't mind, provide me with those links. I'll put them in the show sure. notes. Oh, yeah. um, but besides all those sources, what would be your checklist or your starters guide for somebody looking into prep? Yeah. So we we over at the Prepper Broadcasting Network always speak to a base level of preparedness. And this is for the the brand new right? You just walked into the, you just came, I always say you just walked in panting and sweating because you just went through the, the realization that things aren't as stable as you thought they were your whole life. And now you want to take action, you know, don't buy silver and don't buy hard red wheat like I did. <laughs> That's a bad move. Uh, but they're basically six buckets that um, you can fill to the degree that you can fill them 
and it okay. will have a great effect. You know, that's why I like this baseline preparedness because it's, you know, you, know, you can tell people you need a gun. Okay, what kind of gun? You know, and 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 how much ammo and all. You, you know, it, it can get crazy. Every level of it can get crazy. And, sure. And if you're lucky, you will get crazy. In <laughs> <then> <laughs> a good way. But uh, but but there are six buckets that you can fill. You know, as you go to make sure that you're ready to withstand, basically every disaster that happens on a regular basis and maybe even radical things like the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and it starts with food. That's number one. Okay. You know, you, if, if you would have, well, people were affected by COVID-19 and, and food because the grocery store struggled to restock meats and things like that around the nation. But if it turned out to be much more deadly and much more contagious, uh, you'd be stuck in your house, you know? So, so food is about, I'm stuck in my house and I can't go out for an extended period of time, but we still have to eat. Um, water is a very overlooked uh, prep and, and that's enough. That's number two. You want to make sure that you have more than just stored water on hand. You know, it looks like a lot of water when you have cases of bottled water, you know, hanging around, but when you break it down by gallons and you break it down by, you know, one gallon per person per day, which is kind of the equation that you want to go by. Uh, and then you start adding boiling rice every night, boiling pasta, taking baths, washing dishes, washing, cleaning the house, you know, all these things, the water goes away quick, you know? So however you want to go about it, if you've got a local water resource, if you've got rain barrels, you want to fill the water bucket somehow, you know, and make sure that you have access to water outside of the tap. If something happens to the tap and, you know, things happen to the tap here in Hopewell, Virginia, because of the ice storm that came through, um, the power was out to their water treatment plant. You know, there was damage to the treatment plant there. didn't have power and, and, you know, you get the message. Yeah. Don't drink out of the tap. <laughs> now yeah. you gotta have an a action plan, you know? Um, and that's like a best case scenario thing. A couple days, I'm sure they'll be back on. You go out and buy water too. Um, so food and water are huge. Backup power is one that not a lot of people think about. Uh, but you gotta have a means to charge your devices. You gotta have a means to maybe throw some lights on in the house, uh, heat and cool the house some way. A lot of people are suffering from not having a backup power solution in terms of heat right now across the nation. Right. We're experiencing a mother nature's wrath right now is reminding people they should be prepared. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, wood, fire, heat, uh, kerosene, heat, you know, things like that can be your best friend in times like this. So you got to have backup power, battery banks, solar panels, whatever you want to do, but put something in that bucket. Even if it's just, we're going to buy a few power banks from target and yeah. make sure they're charged so we can charge our phone and know what's going on. Um, first aid's another big one. You know, it's a really big one. Your average first aid kit is filled with crappy band-aids and stuff you'll never use. So um, not only having the band-aids and the, and the first aid tools and gear um you really want a few good books around you want a few good books around uh the prepper's medical handbook is a great one hard you know you want a hard copy forget about the ebook because you don't know what the situation is going to be yeah um, it's going to go with your bitcoin yeah the, <laughs> right the doomsday book of medicine is a, it, it sounds crazy but it is a phenomenal medical book to have at home um and, and the reason prepper medical books are really helpful is because they 
they approach things from the standpoint of an austere situation, right? So they're already in the mindset that you're going to get this book because things are really bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, you might not have water, you might not have power. Here's how you deal with these medical issues in that situation. Um, so that's medical. Um, security is obviously a huge one, you know, and I say security rather than self-defense because, you know, security is all encompassing. It can be home. It can be, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it's also down to the personal level. You got, if you have invested in food, water, backup power, secure, uh, first aid, you want to be, be able to secure that. And if things get crazy, you want to be able to just keep your family safe. So security is a big one. Um, and finally, evacuation. An evacuation plan is is essential. And that can nice. be as simple as, hey, we go to the Holiday Inn when it gets bad inland. You know, we got yeah, a Holiday yeah. Inn that's 20 miles inland or whatever. And that's where we go. And that's our evacuation plan. We grab these documents, this gun, these things. We grab all that and we go. And uh, if you can affect those six buckets, food, water, backup, power, first aid, security, and have a go plan, an evacuation plan, not a bug out plan, it's a different thing, <laughs> uh, but an evacuation plan, you'll be able to answer to most things that are going to happen probably over the next, you know, for the rest of your life, probably. Gotcha. Yeah, that's an awesome set there. I'm going to have to. And that, and a lot of those into my life. I, I do basic yeah. stuff now. I got, you know, extra canned food down here. I got a lot of uh, extra water. I am yeah. trying to get more ammunition and stuff like that. But I've, that sounds more organized. I'm kind of just like winging it. Like, I think I may need this stuff. Let me just get it. Um, but I don't know what it is I'm preparing for. Do you have an array of ideas of what we can see in the five? If you were to take a guess next five, 10 years? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, well. Probably, and, and it's what I mentioned earlier, as far as food is concerned, yep. you know, no matter how, no matter how things go, um, the cost of food is going to rise. And that's because tremendous, the outside factors that affect food production are all coming into play. This pandemic has created uh, a lot of restrictions on the way food production is going to be handled going forward. And, you know, I spent a lot of my life in food safety. So the tracking of food is essential to stopping an outbreak. And that didn't mean a lot to people outside of food safety for a very long time. But now that the world's been hit with this pandemic, I think we're going to see a lot of, lot more restrictions on the way food is produced and, and particularly with the tracking of food. Um, there's also a tremendous push and whether you like it or not, it's a tremendous push, but, there's a lot of people in power that don't want you to eat meat anymore, you know, and this is happening behind the scenes right now, but it's going to become a big part of your everyday life. Um, I don't know how readily available and how affordable red meat and, and things like that are going to be because it's just a push that's going to happen, you know, with the population yeah. growth and, and the effect that, I don't know. I guess it's true, but the effect that raising cattle and and their methane, their farts have on the <laughs> on the world, it's it's apparently a big deal. And and you know, lab grown meat is going to be a thing. And right now, you know, plant based meat is already a thing. You know, that's a thing. Yeah. And so so food cost is going to be increased exponentially, particularly through traditional means of getting food. You know, so if you're if you're used to going to the supermarket and buying your box of whatever, 
I think that price is going to go up substantially, or they're going to play the old trick, which they've been playing already, if you, if you haven't noticed, which is you get the box, the box looks the same, but if you look at the ounces, you go, I thought this was 16 ounce. Why is it 12 ounce now the same price? Yeah, right? Right. That's like a masking inflation that's happening already. Sure. So those things from the food standpoint are, uh, they're a given because yeah. the powers that be have already they've already made it very clear that they want to control how you eat. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's less meat and it's, it's a safer food system, safer yeah. in their mind. You know what I mean? Uh, that's part of the great reset. I don't know if you've been paying attention to that, but that's a part of that, that great reset model that that's a really scary thing that a bunch of powerful lizards have came up with, like I said, and really you didn't get a vote on it. I didn't get, I don't have a representative at the table, but they've, they have a plan to reset things that they're going to enact through power and money and influence. So it's, yeah. you know, those things we have to pay attention to. Um, I'm very concerned. I mean, it, it doesn't make me a favorable guy, but I'm very concerned about a civilization that is totally geared towards the idea of equity and equality of outcome because again it's that same sort of compassion i get the compassion we don't want yeah. anybody to fall through the holes and then the other the other side of it which is you know if you're not if you're not incredibly thorough with how you try to pull a massive thing like that off um you're going to create chaos in the population. You know, yeah. you're going to re, you're going to reinvigorate racism in the nation, and and those things. Uh, it's a it's a very lofty goal and a very dangerous goal, and I think from a civil unrest standpoint, we're going to see that. We're going to yeah. see the effects of that. You know, we're going to see people who have been disenfranchised by that goal, not just the goal, but how it's being handled. Right, like the idea that you're going to take something as as big as that and hand it off to mayors and governors of states who are going to hand it off to people to create programs that with, yeah, it, it's a big deal. And, and it's just a hashtag to most people, yeah. you know, the, and, and I understand why, and I understand their idea behind it and, and the, you know, the desire, I get it, but it's also, you know, well-intentioned people can have a serious effect on Absolutely. the stability of the nation. So, you know, those are those are two of the biggest outside of just the obvious. Uh, I don't know how we we get back to the level of economic prosperity we had before the pandemic, which is going. We're going to have to answer to that too. You know, yeah. Uh, people are out of work. Businesses are going to close and never open again. Lots of them already have, and you know, the the it's a ripple effect. Yeah. You know, it touches everything. It, it doesn't not only touches the, the working population, but I think we'll see it touch entire um, towns and cities. Yeah. You know, where a, where a, a town or a city could literally, literally go Detroit on us if we're not careful. You know, right. where it's like there's no restaurants anymore. Uh, there's no this industry. The clubs all shut down. Why would I move there? Yeah, you know, and that's all it takes. Once enough people decide, why would I move there, or or I'm moving out of here? Yeah, that's when those cities and those towns can collapse very quickly. You know, some, you similar to California now. Money. Well, yeah, I mean they're yeah. gonna see it. I mean they got Hollywood power. That's so L.A. will probably be okay. But I don't know though. L.A.'s already suffering from massive homelessness. Yeah, they've got issues. Seems you know, like everybody's be, running out of there. <laughs> they could very well be the. Uh, 
they could be the spot that sees like a almost like a French Revolution sort of episodic scenario take place where where literally poor homeless people just in mass head up the hills of Hollywood and start killing people. I mean, it's it sounds crazy and, and like a movie, but no, not really. if it were going to happen somewhere, that'd be the place, right? That That is the greatest, <laughs> it's got to be the greatest um, imbalance that exists is people just lining the streets of Rodeo and <laughs> watching people with crystal and diamond everything walk before them, buy their Louis Vuittons and head back up to the hills. It's yeah. a scary situation, man. Well, let's timestamp yeah. this episode, and we uh, we could we could follow back up on this if it does happen. <laughs> like, hey, James was right, well, a thousand percent. <laughs> Foreshadowed it. James, unfortunately, when James is right, it's never good. You know, I wish <laughs> well, I was one of those guys who could be like, "Bet on cannabis stocks, and you'll be a millionaire <laughs> like me." You know, that's what I wish I was, but I'm just a <laughs> just a guy with the bad news most of the time. Hey, that that that's usually the guy that's most informed, though. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, true. I, I guess my wife would kill me if I don't bring this up. Um, disaster coffee. She's a huge coffee drinker. Uh, fun fact, she's also a baker herself. Uh, oh, cool. But Dis- Disaster Coffee, is that your brand name? How did it come about? Man, I didn't know we were talking Disaster Coffee. Thank you, Jose. I would have to. She would not She would not let me slide off this interview if I didn't bring up the coffee. <laughs> well, I'll send you guys some. Make sure we talk after. But uh, <laughs> So can we go entrepreneurial a little bit? I would love it. Absolutely. Okay. So um, I bought the Prepper Broadcasting Network in 2018. Okay. I podcasted on it since about 2012. Um, Once it became mine, I got to sort of understand the struggle. And you're a podcaster. You might understand it as well. The struggle of finding sponsorship. You know, I, I wanted it to be a viable income source for me. You know, that's, that was part of the deal. And before Facebook turned into the, you know, social media Nazis, (laughs) Uh, a lot of guys that I got to give those guys a call now too. I could probably have a good laugh with them. But anyway, a lot of the guys that I thought I could reach out to and get sponsorship deals with nothing outrageous, but sponsorship deals for our little podcast prepping network. Um, they were very honest to me, which I appreciated. And they said, you know, if, if we do an ad on your show, uh, we're going to hit some people, but we don't know how many, you know, and we don't know the demographic. I mean, you can tell us, but it's kind of tough with Facebook. We can target thousands, tens of thousands of people all in the right demographic. And, and, and we know when it's working, but we know when it's not. Right. And, you know, that was a, that was a hit Yeah, because that was, that screwed my plans up. So <laughs> I started thinking to myself to hell with these guys. Uh, why don't we create our own brand that will be our own sponsor, you know, nice. like in, instead of reaching out to a sponsor, if we can make a sponsor that's viable and and has enough success that we're making money, then what's the difference between that and having a sponsor? I have one less person to answer to. And I was already on this track of if I'm going to be an entrepreneur in this day and age and I'm going to be a gun toting one, I don't want to answer to anybody. You right. know, because the moment you got to answer to people, you got to start cutting and making changes. And I can't say this and that and. I talk for a living, you know, you can't be in the business of what I'm not going to (laughs) say. So, so disaster coffee was born out of some research about drop shipping coffee companies and uh, what could be done for a guy who was already kind of working full time, didn't have time to take on a full, you know, scale business. Um, And 
it, it really became my means of not just creating a great product in, in a drop shipped coffee product out of California. That is, well, you'll see when you get it, <laughs> it's, I mean, I drank coffee before disaster coffee, but I never understood, uh, having coffee roasted and then sent to you you know which is super rare with the way people drink coffee you know even the biggest and the most impressive coffee companies that you know roast coffee there's a fundamental misstep in how they do it right it, they roast coffee and then they inventory coffee and then it gets, you know, it either stays in a warehouse until an order gets shipped, you know, like anything else. Sure. Or it goes to a retailer, you know, right? That's where you sell coffee. I go buy it at the supermarket or whatever. Maybe go to the 511 store and get Black Rifle. But <laughs> inherently, there's a, there's, a, there's a middleman between you and the coffee. When you drop ship coffee, and this is really only a coffee thing, I guess, um, when you drop ship coffee, it doesn't sit anywhere. So when you order from disaster coffee, the roaster gets your order. They roast all their orders for the day. Then they throw all their orders on a pallet that ship direct to the customers. And in my opinion, there's no, you, you can't even do coffee better than that. It's impossible. And when you get it, when it comes to your mailbox, you're going to walk up to your mailbox and open it and it's going to hit you. Nice. It hits you. It's like, <laughs> whoa, there's coffee in here. Yeah. And it's it's outstanding, man. And I just, you know, when I set out to do this thing, I didn't plan on that. I didn't even understand that level. That that's like second level effect. <laughs> you know, sure. I didn't understand that. And and now that I've been drinking coffee that way for we started in December of last year. Yeah. Um, now that I've been drinking coffee for a year that way, it's like, this is the way. You know, yeah. this is the way for sure. So a portion of our, our profits goes to, uh, we, we, we donate to two organizations in particular. One is Citizens Assisting Citizens, which is a national organization that shows up and, and does disaster relief. Okay. That was my initial game plan, right? Disaster coffee, disaster relief. All of our coffees are named after some kind of either disaster relief or disaster in and of itself, right? Nice. So last year, last year we kind of tongue-in-cheek put out a, a pandemic blend right <laughs> six bean espresso i love it <laughs> it is our infectious pandemic blend that's master market and that was a great hit <laughs> yeah it was a great it was a great um it was a great <laughs> a great move um but we we got wrapped up with another great prepper named uh bear independent and he's he has a, an organization called grindstone ministries and grindstone ministries builds these rehab centers um for victims of child trafficking oh, you know wow. so so they build chapels at these rehab centers and uh you know it's it's appalling but he tells me the average age is a uh, you know 14 years old you know the people wow. who are at yeah. these rehabs they're 14 year old kids so it's crazy um we send them money also we're we're small so we don't send them the amount of money we want to but <laughs> you know yeah yeah every little bit helps when you're Absolutely. when you're doing that kind of thing uh, so that's our that's our you know overarching motivation to do what we do also is to, to to take a little bit of that money that we make and put it towards disaster relief and now uh, this fighting this monster of human trafficking which is just outstanding that it can even exist in a time like this you know right right it's scary to think about I have uh, you know 
two girls and well, I have four kids total, which could all, you know, fall victim to something like that. But specifically, I think about my girls uh, for sure. And it's a scary, it's a scary it's thing. It's a scary thought, man. Yeah. And, and yeah. we also have a prepper based product um, called Bunker Beans. And what What's Bunker that? Beans are is a five pound bag of green unroasted coffee beans. Okay. Uh, green coffee beans are, first of all, they're hard to get in five pound or less denominations. You can buy them like 60 pound bags, but they store basically forever. Oh, nice. Right. If you buck, if you bucket them up like you would rice or beans, if you put them in mylar bags so they're protected from bugs, maybe throw an oxygen absorber in there and put them in a five gallon bucket, um, they're going to be around basically forever, and they don't become coffee until you roast them. So once you roast a green coffee bean, it's not even caffeinated until you roast it. I didn't know that. That's new coffee business ownership stuff. That's the rabbit hole. Yeah. So it's not even it's not even a caffeinated thing until you roast it. But it gives you the opportunity to store some of these green beans for the long haul. And you know, once your coffee stash is gone, which would be a dark day in and of itself, <laughs> you could pull these things out, roast them. If you have a hand grinder, which would be optimal, you could hand grind the beans down into coffee and make coffee. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've done we've done many shows on coffee as a morale booster in disaster. Trust me, it's something you want to have around. Yeah, you know, whether a tornado whips through a neighborhood and takes everybody's house, or you know, if the lights go out and never come back on, you you definitely want to be the guy who can make the coffee and say we're going to be okay. It's all right. That. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere sure. I hear I can feel my wife just like <laughs> pumping it up <laughs> in the background because I don't drink much coffee, but she's avid, avid, avid. Oh well, she's a baker. I mean, coffee and sweets is that's what it's, it's all. It's about. a good mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm actually intrigued by the network that you got going on. Is that the only way you've been able to incentivize your creators? Because I'm starting to build a network and I got a few podcasters on there and I'm having a hard time scratching the surface on how, besides cross promotion for each other's products, I'm having a hard time finding a way to incentivize them to continue to stay on the network, of course. Yeah. So we, when I did this thing early on yep. with a different owner, it was a revolving door, but it, we were never short staffed. Um, the people who podcast on my network, they're completely volunteer. Okay. You know, they do it completely. I, I don't make an anywhere near enough money to pay people to podcast. But what I do is I pay the bills to podcast and I pay the bills to promote and all that kind of stuff. So um, there are inherent benefits to it for sure for them. What I, what, what I find works best for me and, and to, keep them going. And, and one thing that I should mention is we've had the same core group since 2018 when I bought the network, which is, oh. I didn't see that coming. That is not, I thought for sure we'd be rifling through people. Um, so what I find is to meet with them on a regular basis um, as a group and as individuals and to push them to take advantage of the resource that they have, which is their podcast. You know, they're very passionate about what they do or else they wouldn't waste a night of their life doing it. Right. Um, we also podcast live and that could, that's another level of addiction. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Like podcasting is sweet, but going live with a live chat room is it's another thing. You know what I mean? There's a high wire aspect of it. You're talking about controversial topics always, 
because of the nature of what you're talking about. Right. And uh, I know that many of them are addicted to that. <laughs> and it's, it's nice to get that stuff out of your system when times are tough. You know, I'm sure you enjoy that about podcasting, being able to sound off here. Um, so there are a lot of benefits for them, but I'm always pushing them. And I think that's why they stick with me, um, you know, to keep going and keep yeah. doing, you know, I have people who write books on the network, uh, um, side businesses and that kind of thing. So they, they can use the podcast as a springboard for something bigger, which is, that's always my, my way of motivating them. You know, as you can, this is, this is cool, but the likelihood that you're going to, especially since I'm already jockeying for, for podcast sponsorship money, the likelihood that you're going to have sponsorship money, that's really going to get you out of your day job is probably pretty low, sure. but you know, one of our hosts is just an astounding crochet or she's our, she's our Saturday night host, Jordan Smith. And, and, you know, she's got tremendous potential to make a lot of money off of her stuff if she can tie it together with her podcast, you know, and, you know, just this last year. So we, we all get together once a year for something called prepper camp, which happens in North Carolina, which nice. is a whole nother, I can't even get into it cause it's a whole nother show, but, um, <laughs> she did her first live talk there and it was about fibers and, and, you know, taking fur from animals, turning it into fibers, turning that into clothes. So, yeah. so she's starting to bridge that gap and, and uh, you know, turn what she loves and what she does into money for her and her family. And that's, that's the best that I can do for them, you know, is yeah. to continually push them in that direction so that they can, so that they can make that jump maybe one day from working a job to working the job that they want to be working. Cool. So I kind of got the feeling I'm working in the right direction. That's sort of what I'm doing. I'm just giving them the resources. I have a marketing background. I started a digital marketing company in 2019. So I, yeah. I try to give them like marketing advice and how to get their stuff out. I pay for the hosting on the website, uh, similar yeah. to all the resources. I think that, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, maybe there's in my head, I was thinking. Benefit. There's more of a benefit in that than you know. You That's know, the problem I, I think I'm having. I think I'm doubting that. And I'm thinking like, how do I get these guys paid? If not, they're going to get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. When No, when I brought the Patriot Power Hour over, which is our newest show, they were, we had a weird conversation where we were both kind of like, uh, you know, how's this going to work? Should this work? Shouldn't this work? Uh, let me let him talk first. Let me let him talk. You know, one of those things. Because we didn't yeah. know where each other was 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 at with it all. You know, I think they weren't sure if I even wanted them on the network and I wasn't sure, um, you know, what they expected out of the network. Right. So after we got all the bullshit out of the way and started talking, um, they were just blown away by the fact that they didn't have to pay me to be on the network. Gotcha. You know, they were like, wait, so we get to we can podcast, we can get rid of all because they already had a podcast. They were already paying bills. So we can get rid of all the bills that we are paying. And uh, as a gesture in kind, they created 20, no, probably about 10, uh, 10 different spots for advertisers and uh, station identification, which are, they're all so cool. You know, yeah. they had them professionally done and, and, you know, that was kind of their olive branch for, for them jumping on our network. Nice. And, you know, those things are invaluable and, and, uh, especially if you have somebody who's already paying bills, you know, if right. they're not, I'm sure they'll understand that you got to inherently pay for something. <laughs> if you don't, yeah, yeah. If you don't let Jose pay for it, you know, right. right. Trying to work that out. Yeah. So the have other you heard... big... Go ahead, I'm sorry. can I do one more? I'm sorry. The of only other big thing I do is I, I 
tell them to talk about whatever they want. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be very easy for me to structure our week out as this week we're doing food storage, run with it. You know what I mean? Right. But I tell them whatever you want to do, just talk about it. You know, if you're passionate about it, talk about it. And we've, I mean, we've had shows where we could have easily been shut down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, yeah. You know, people get passionate, you know, in times like these. So that's that freedom is important too. Yeah, I, I think that's the that's what I love about the medium of podcasting is that I, I would hate for it to be centered. I'm actually one of the biggest guys that hates Spotify for everything that they're doing with their basically just trying to, you know, capitalize on podcasting. It should be an open platform and they want to put yeah. it behind the paywall. Um, which I hate. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm real big on letting the the creators do what they have to do for that same That's reason. Huge. Yeah, it, it, it's not my place to tell you to not do it. I would just be, you know, a censor god if that makes sense. And I don't want to be that. So uh, have you heard of new services like Clubhouse? How do you think they go against podcasting? Um, Clubhouse. I don't know who they are. Yeah. So so there's a I I, I pretty much call it a uh, a teleconference app, but there's a new popular app called Clubhouse. And what it kind of is is you go into a room. And it's basically just a conference call with, you know, thousands oh, of people. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, since it's new and since it's fresh, a lot of these, you know, big timers and, you know, innovators, if you want to call them that anybody big in any niche and any spaces in there, basically given free value. Um, so what a lot of people in there are saying is this is going to eliminate podcasting because now I can not only have one guest, I can have one guest and a thousand audience members that I can call up and ask questions live on the show. Um, so I, that's the new thing. But to me, it's the beauty of podcasting is, is on demandness of it. I could get it yeah, whenever I want, what, do it whenever I that's want. That's very important. That's yeah. a very important aspect of it, man, for sure. You know, it's it, the, what the dangerous thing is to try. And this is what the prepper broadcasting was for a long time was to try to be a radio show. Okay. Right. One of the great laments is I can't take calls, you know, yeah. We can't take calls on our live shows. We can't take calls on our podcasts that are pre-recorded. Um, but this isn't radio, you know? Right. And and there are a lot of, like our conversation would have been crap on a radio network. We couldn't sure. have gotten into what we were getting into tonight with with oh, hold on, we gotta take another break. Hold on, yeah, we'll yeah, be yeah. back in 10. You know <laughs> what I mean? So it's right. the idea that uh you can't construct a podcast the way a podcast is supposed to be. If you have a thousand guests who are going to say, hold on, let's elaborate on that. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll be cool. I'm sure it'd be great yeah. on some topics, but, um, and also there's inherent risk, man. There's a lot of crazy people out there. Yeah. There's a reason, <laughs> why, there's a reason why radio hosts who, who have big contracts have call screeners. You know, you got to have a screener who's going to be there so that somebody doesn't just grab the mic at clubhouse and say, you Nazi racist pig, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. Or whatever. They, yeah, you know? they, so they got, got some to... moderation tools, but I agree with you. It's not, it's not cohesive to the conversation to have a lot of people putting their hands up. Uh, but I guess See, technically the moderator could mute anybody at any point in time. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. You can cut <laughs> yeah. them off mid, uh, mid rant. But right, right. Yeah. It's, it's just that's the word that they keep saying. I think it's just people's. Uh, usual hurry up factor and trying to replace something with something else yeah but i think podcasting it sounds like it's got great potential yeah it's doing good but podcasting is still in its infancy i mean it, it's one yeah. of those oh st- for sure yeah people are coming more and more every day you know uh i don't know if with, with the whole quickly that's a whole nother convo but there's a lightning network thing with bitcoin where now podcasters are able to get um you know satoshis little pieces of bitcoin streamed to them as the person is actually listening to it, it's something called uh, uh, Podcast 
Oh. And it's led by Adam Curie, Podfather, I guess is what he yeah, goes by. Yeah, 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 I know. I yeah, know. yeah. I so mean, they, I don't know him, but I know the name. Right. So he's pushing this initiative to do that, to basically give all the creators now value for value exchange. And before that was never possible because I, you know, through the old legacy banking systems, I couldn't really send you 10 cents every right, 10 yeah. minutes or something like that. Uh, but now with, you know, Bitcoin and specifically the Lightning Network, I'm able to literally send you these five sats or five cents per 10 minutes per hour uh, and it's a pure value for value exchange and you cut out the Spotify's, you know, you cut out the middlemen, you cut out all those people. Yeah. So, so th- that's just an example to me that podcasting still has a long way to go. And for these people sure. to say that clubhouse is going to eliminate it, it's, it's <laughs> very weird. And I, yeah. I mean, once you, I mean, think about where traditional radio is. I mean, traditional AM radio is definitely not doing the way doing good like it was in the early 2000s but at the same time it's still not tapped out yeah you know there's still tons of people who listen to am radio and it's because they've become accustomed to how they get it you know they get it on the drive home or they get it after dinner when they sit on the couch or whatever it is and podcasting is the same thing i mean i want to be able to throw a podcast on and and work out i want to go run five miles and listen to a podcast or you know lift weights and and I definitely don't want to be like worried about who's raising their hand or if I'm raising my hand or answering questions, you know? So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah that's, you know, it'll never be, it'll, it, it's always going to be its own thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's enough space for everybody, I guess is the point there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Definitely that there's plenty of people. <laughs> Oof, Bill, how many we got nine billion or eight billion. Yeah. <laughs> Always looking for some type of stimulation. <laughs> yeah. But uh, James, I, we could talk for hours, I'm sure. Um, set, tell the people where they can go to get more information on you, to get information on the on the network, uh, on prepping. Please give them a call to action. Oh, yeah, sure. It's easy, man. We're easy to find. So uh, prepperbroadcasting.com is the website. Uh, there's a podcast player there if you want to do that route. Um if you if if you're really interested in taking first steps in preparedness or you know upgrading, I'd recommend going there because we have services that we offer there. Also, um, we have a membership there as well. Uh, but if you're just into listening to the podcast, search Prepper Broadcasting Network everywhere. You know, everywhere the podcasts are listened to, we're there. And uh, don't forget DisasterCoffee.com. I'm telling you. If you want roasted coffee, fresh roasted, sent directly to your house, not sitting on a shelf, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was a thing. And and now that I've kind of stumbled upon it, I, it really feels like the only way to go. So uh, disastercoffee.com, great coffee and a great purpose. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have all those links in the descriptions. Uh, Send them over to me if you haven't already. I know I got a few of them there. Uh, But James, this conversation has been incredible. I hope it's not the last time we speak. And um, I've definitely been waking myself up to a lot of things uh, a little bit before COVID, but definitely during COVID as many others. And that's why I was looking forward to this combo and you didn't disappoint. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Jose. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Later. Thanks for joining me for another great conversation. That one was a really good one. And I can't I can't express this enough. We have to prepare, guys. We don't know what's to come. And if we prepare, we'll be better off in the long run. Our children will be better off in the long run. And we'll be able to handle a lot more of the unforeseeable. As always, I appreciate you guys. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate, share, and subscribe. That's how I continue to have the conversations I love to have. And you can continue to get the conversations that you love to listen to. As always, guys, take care. Later.